Hi, it's Anita Wingley. While we're working away at season two of Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good, we wanted to share some of the amazing content that's in our season one interviews, but didn't make it into the final cuts. The next few episodes will be the full conversations with some of our special guests. Some of these interviews were done by both Dr. James Tyler Robertson and I, and other interviews were conducted by just me. We hope that you find these interviews helpful. And yet, despite that struggle, God still chooses to reveal himself to women and to be present with them and to involve them in, in his story. Here's our interview with Dr. Beth Green, the provost of Tyndale University. I felt so fortunate that I got to speak with her and hear her story and her journey into leadership. We had to cut that whole story out of episode five, The Weight of a Woman, in order to keep the episode from getting too long. But now you get to hear her whole story. Plus, she's got tons of amazing advice for both men and women in leadership and, and how do we keep navigating this weird terrain. Okay, so from, from your perspective, really what does the Bible say about women in leadership versus, I, I, don't, I kind of want to put a juxtaposition or a compare and contrast. Like we're talking about, whenever we're talking about women in leadership in the Christian world, right. see the Bible has to be first and foremost. So people use are very, very cavalier about using the Bible to restrict women in leadership. From your perspective, what do you think the Bible is? How do you see that comparing and contrasting with Christian cultures you've experienced? Mm. So... I think I'm really glad that you've asked me what do I think the Bible is because um, one of the reasons that the word what does the Bible really say about women, that word really trips me up a lot because I think the Bible isn't there primarily to tell us about leadership or women or, I don't know, pick your topic, being a vegetarian. The Bible's there to tell us about who God is. And if you start with that kind of um, approach, you begin to realise that woven together in in this in this beautiful story is this amazing arc, kind of revealing in different genres who God is, the creation that He made, who He loves within it. And once you start reading that, you are well, my what I found is I'm less inclined to treat it as a recipe book to go to the little section that tells me, you know, how do I as a woman uh, live or be? Um, because once I've got kind of God in place, then it changes how I think about who I am and who others are. And so in telling us about God, the Bible also tells us about our purpose as humankind. Um, and suddenly the distinctions become far less important, both between us as men and women, but also between um, humankind and creation, because you begin to realise that they're all part of what brings worship, what brings glory. Um, they're all part of the loving relationship that God has. So one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's a story in which I can see myself and other people can find themselves. And it weaves together stories about different people's encounters with who this God is. But that means you've got to do some work when you read it. You have to understand who wrote what, when they wrote it, why. Um, there's a lot of the Bible's oral tradition, right? It's people telling, um, as 
they were commanded to do their community, the story of who God is. Um, and so one of the most remarkable things is that there are so many women included in the Bible story, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And in times when women were on the margins, um, and actually in our culture too, it's often women who are vulnerable and on and on the margins. That's that's kind of one of the strains and fractures that I think um, the fall and sin brought into our world. And so we've got a God who is um, faithful in showing his loving kindness uh, to those who are vulnerable and on the margins throughout the, the biblical story. And women are a really important part of that. They're often... Uh, the ones who get the privilege of naming God. So the first person to name God in the Old Testament is Hagar, Abraham's slave girl, you know. And, and when you start reading the story through those lenses, you start to ask questions about why we have institutions in our culture, including the church, that are organised so differently. Um, because... It is true that there are places where, and I've experienced them, um, where women um, are not given the same voice, where they don't speak. And yet, despite that struggle, God still chooses to reveal himself to women and to be present with them and to involve them in, in his story. So... I think what I'm trying to say is that um, I don't think the Bible's a leadership manual, either for men or women. But if you want to look at the loving kindness of God, the way that he reveals himself, the way he wants communities that worship him to reflect who he is, then for both men and women in that story, you see a lot about what um, working alongside of people and leading projects and test of testifying to who God is, you, you find out a lot about how to do that well. All right, so um, I'm going to focus on the academia angle. Okay. So I, I want to, like, what sort of unique challenges uh, do you face as a leader in academia? And, I mean, and you've come up through the ranks. Like, you, yep. I'm sure you've seen a bunch of stuff yep. at, at, yep. at every level, both when you were, you know, you didn't have any power or leadership or anything like that, but and now that you're in a leader and stuff, any any sort of themes, ideas that strike you? About being a woman in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, again, I'm going to start with my story I need to tell you a bit of my story because I haven't always worked in the sort of explicitly Christian world and I know this is a conversation about our culture as Christians in uh, at this time in Canada but I bring to that different experiences just like everyone does and so I um, so before coming to Tyndale um, all my experience in higher education um, was in uh, the UK where we don't have the tradition of the Christian uh, liberal arts university. And so um, I think that I didn't really realise <laughs> that there was a whole nother layer of things to think about in taking on a leadership role when you're working in the Christian community. Um, I, the I, different theological ideas that people have about women in leadership wasn't a factor in in my previous jobs. Um, that's not to say I didn't encounter them in church. So I would say I probably lived quite a split life before Tyndale in that uh, in my 
secular job as a senior lecturer running a research institute, all the kinds of things that I was doing in the UK, um, I didn't trip up over people's expectations of women in the same way that I did in my church community in the UK, where women were not given the opportunity to preach or um, or teach unless they were teaching other women or children. So I lived quite a split existence before I um, before I came to Canada. And I think one of the things I was looking for this side of the <laughs> this side of the ocean was an opportunity um, because like to bring those things together because I think it's really I think it is really important that you're able to worship in a community that understands the gifts that God has given you and is appreciative of those. It makes you sort of stronger in your ability um, to do other things in the rest of your life. Um, Living a divided life is not good for any of us. But having said that, so there's a really interesting book out by uh, Mary Seacott and it's called The Authority Gap. Why women are still taken less seriously than men and what can we do about it? And I would recommend that all women... (laughs) and men read this book because it has been my experience in academia that um, as a woman you often have to do twice as much to prove yourself as capable um, as the people around you. Um, I still get interrupted, less so, um, but I still get interrupted by men when I'm when I'm speaking in a way that, that men will not in a meeting. Um, it's still assumed that my style of leadership will be kind and compassionate because I am a woman. Whereas my argument is that the kindness and compassion of God, I talked about it before, the hesed of God is essential to all of us um, and especially those who lead. And I still found that the way that academia is constructed, just structurally, to be able to spend your time doing teaching, scholarship, um, showing up to all the kinds of things that enable your career to progress. It assumes that you have somebody at home doing all the domestic work alongside of you to make, and that you can be available and make it possible. Increasingly, that's less realistic even for men than it, than it is for women. But I think one of the important things to say is that um, I was single right up until... Um, two and a half years ago. And if I had been trying to balance my career with the expectations of being um, a partner and um, a caregiver, then I don't think that I would be provost at at the age I am. I'm 45, right? Because what you see and what I experienced, um, a lot of women started out with me doing, you know, we did our doctorates at the same time. We got our first postdoc positions and then we fought to turn those into permanent lecture positions um and then people started dropping off um the career ladder as um yeah as they um uh often as they had children but um because I just stayed very (laughs) I was always very ambitious I was focused on my career I believe that that's what God had called me to do um it enabled me um to put in the hours, um, but um, I was aware that probably if I'd taken other decisions and um, committed to raising children or being much more involved in a family, um, I wouldn't have progressed up the career ladder because it's just not, I think it's beginning to change now where 
understanding how to work more flexibly. We're also thinking more about the kinds of things that should count in research terms, in, in terms of influence and impact. And, and we're beginning to treasure things like working collaboratively. Women have always had to do that because it's um, it's how we make our lives and our complicated schedules <laughs> fit together. So in this kind of context, we have an edge. But still, if you, I don't know, close your eyes and imagine a professor, we've kind of got that C.S. Lewis figure, that Oxford Don who lives in an ivory tower. There's someone to do their washing. There's <laughs> someone to manage the home. All you do is, you know, sit and think your wonderful thoughts. Um, I actually don't think that's realistic for very many of us in academia anymore, but it has never been realistic for women. So how have you personally overcome? Like you mentioned some yeah. of the challenge. Yeah. Really great question. Um, it's a couple of things. So first of all, it's my mum's birthday today, so I'm oh. going to start with my mum. My dad's birthday's tomorrow. Woohoo! December babies. Yeah. yeah. So my mum... I'm just saying that part again, just in case <laughs> I want to use the uninterrupted version. Okay. So um, I'm going to mention my mum. It's my mum's birthday today. Um, but my mum has been an incredible um, role model and support. And there's that whole research around... Um, you become what you can see. So you need the possibilities in front of you. And my mum uh, managed, um, you know, our home. She had a full-time job in teaching. She's a divinity graduate. She taught the Bible. Um, and she was also widowed when we were teenagers. So she did all of that and the single mum thing. And so you begin to realise, um, you know, well, you don't even question it. You see it happening absolutely in front of you. And one of the things that my mum did for me, particularly when my career became very time consuming, which it did when I was leading the research centre, um, uh, when I was a, a lecturer and um, teacher and consultant in the UK, my mum did my washing for me and my mum came and cleaned my apartment once a week. And I was a bit embarrassed, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. and But my mum was saying, this is how I support you in Christian education. I do this so that, you know, um, you can keep going. Because I was teaching uh, really late because I was teaching on the uh, master's and uh, running a doctoral program, all of which was designed for flexible learning. But it means, you know, you do nine to five and then you stay <laughs> late to the evening and then you do weekends as well. And it's really intense. So my mum's a, um, a big reason why it felt possible the other thing that I've always done um, is had or intentionally cultivated something I call Team Beth. And if you're on Team Beth, you know you're on Team Beth because, um, you know, these are the people that pray for me. These are the people that I uh, I talk to for kind of mentorship and career advice. Um, and they're all around the world. They're they're people I've met because the Christian education world where, where I do a lot of my research, it's actually quite small. Um, there are a lot of theologians, there are a lot of Bible teachers, there are a lot of really good teachers in Christian schools. But the number of people who actually research how to put those things together, how to put theology together with pedagogy um, and how to think about that, particularly in the K-12 context, is quite a small bunch of us. So I've just wherever I found someone who's similarly minded, I've desperately clung on. And I was thinking about Team Beth and I was thinking about the diversity that's represented in Team Beth because 
as I mentioned, people from all over the world, so different nationalities, but both uh, men and women. And this leads me to the third, the third thing is that I have had men, male leaders who have been my mentor and my ally. So who put me in leadership positions when I didn't believe I could do it because I hadn't got the experience or I hadn't got the confidence, which is very typical um, for women. Uh, again, it's part of because we don't see people doing uh, the senior jobs. And these, um, I'll mention some of them. So Professor Trevor Cooling, who is now an emeritus professor of Christian education at Canterbury Christchurch University. Um, when I was uh, uh, finishing up my PhD uh, and, you know, I had £27 left in my bank account, that's about $40, <laughs> he gave me a job. He asked me to write uh, a report for him that was published by the think tank Theos. But in getting to know him, um, he started finding more things to put my way. He started not just involving me in his projects, but talking to me about running projects and teams. Um, and and it was clear to me that he never thought I shouldn't be in a leadership role because of my gender. There just wasn't an issue. And he was really open about um, what he did in his in his role as a leader. And I started emulating that. Like I learned a lot about how to care for people from Trevor. And there are other people like that who gave me those sorts of opportunities. So it's a combination of um, having role models, um, building your own team of support um, and having other people advocate for you. And also I've left jobs. I've left jobs where the environment was too toxic um, and usually that's not just gender related, right? There's usually, if that's an issue, there's usually a number of other things that are really complicated. And I left higher education in the UK because I was utterly burned out and fed up of doing um, quite groundbreaking research with schools and it not having any impact within uh, the sort of institution itself, like the divide between what we were doing in schools and what we were teaching our teachers in higher education kind of made no sense to me and I was looking for something else. So I will shake the dust off my feet and move on if I need to as well. And again, I think that's something that I'm fortunate that I've had the agency to do, not, not all women or people who are in those kinds of difficult situations can, can do that. So, yeah. Cool. What a mom you have. I did. Have a, <laughs> I do have an amazing mom. So just to build on this, and mm. I, I, you don't necessarily have to out anybody or whatnot, mm -hmm. but like what, uh, and you, yeah, I think you just, with the dust off the feet, mm -hmm. nice <clears throat> how, how do you deal with, you know, we, we can talk about, you know, implicit bias. Yes. This is yeah. the torpedoes. Yeah. What about like when you're dealing with somebody who's in power who actively opposes you? Um, and maybe they're actively opposing you. Yeah. But when they're actively yeah. opposing you as as a woman, what uh, what's a recourse? Um, I want to unpack that because I think there's a number of different things you have to do, um, and it depends a lot on the context, right? I mean, is this a one-off encounter? Is it, um, or is it somebody that you know you manage? And I don't manage. I have to just say, for the interest of transparency, I don't manage anybody who's got a problem with women in yeah. in power, which 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 is maybe they self-select themselves out. The best piece of advice I got um, was from um, a friend of mine, um, Pauline McKendrick, who um, is a very senior leader at the uh, Nazarene College in 
Manchester, affiliated with the University of Manchester. But Pauline, um, I remember Pauline saying to me, um, you can put up with a lot of opposition and criticism um, kind of in your working, in your professional life. If you are part of a worshipping community, Christian community that values women, and if you're not, you need to think very seriously about, you know, finding a church where where you won't be constantly facing that as well. And it was thanks to her advice that I really kind of got my Christian community and attitudes to women in leadership more lined up because that love and welcoming environment and that strength is really, really important um, for me not to, to not take personal like not to take criticism personally or opposition personally so I have been told all kinds of weird things in my role like well it's okay because Tyndale isn't a church so you can lead at Tyndale and but maybe not somewhere else and that's I disagree and it's um I think it's the wrong reading um of of the biblical story about women and their gifts but I'm quite pragmatic. I've stayed within the broadly evangelical tradition because I believe that that sort of attitude is not the, the last word. And if we all, we being the women that God has called into leadership, if we all just leave it behind, it will not change, right? So I can compartmentalize well, and that's, that's one approach. Um, I have had to learn to be confident though and to call people out. Um, I've had to learn to deal with my own anger. So sometimes if if I feel that some of the heat and some of the criticism that I'm getting is because of my gender, I will need to either end a meeting <laughs> and come back to it. Or sometimes I will prepare very carefully going into a conversation with somebody. I, I would do this anyway, actually. I think this is a really important part of leadership. You are going to be working with people who disagree with you on a lot of things and oppose you in a lot of areas. So I do my homework and I try to get to know people um, and what they do enjoy and, and what about their attitudes I can respect because I think that's what it means to stand, really stand in solidarity with people. Um, solidarity isn't always about agreeing with somebody, but it is recognizing that even if you think they're wrong, they're still made in God's image. And the call is to unity. Um, and everyone will have to draw their own line. And I think if you're constantly in a toxic environment where you can do nothing as a woman, don't stay. Right. Really don't stay unless, I guess, unless God, but why would God call you to be somewhere where you can't fulfill who you are and your gifts. And as I say, I've made that call in the past too. Um, yeah. So this, and because this idea has come up in previous ones too, there's, there is a sense of um, changing the system mm. from within, mm. which I guess that goes to this whole idea of the extra weight. Of, yeah. Yeah. I think something else though, is when I look at the biblical story, I realize there's always a system. There's always a context. It's always broken. And so um, it's very tempting to think the grass is greener on the other side. But many of the women that God revealed himself, and if we, if we take Hagar as an example, um, 
God told her to go back. She was the first time she was exiled into the wilderness. God told her to go back because that was actually the only way she, she would survive. That was the only way that she and Ishmael could be taken care of. And some people really struggle with that. That's a slave woman being asked to, to return to, you know, a, a context of violence and oppression. But God hadn't hadn't abandoned her in that context and all the privileges in in meeting with her in uh honoring ishmael how that works out in the biblical story that's evidence to me that the point is that god is there with you in the story you're in um the point is not to sort of get beamed out of it into the christian utopia um we're working now to bring the kingdom of God in and it looks nothing like we think kingdoms look and it looks nothing like um, the sort of, <laughs> you know, those really cheesy Victorian paintings of heaven and the angels and, and we're all sort of longing for, I don't know, when things will be easy and I, we're ever promised easy. We're promised health and fruitfulness um, and ways to begin investing in that now, but you're not going to be remaking or joining God's work of remaking if you're constantly looking to run out of the context or the story in which he's placed you. Okay, so you've kind of come, you've, you've brushed on this again. And I'm not crazy about this question because, it, again, it's it's so broad terms, but it's it's question six. Okay. How is being a woman in leadership different from being a man in leadership? And how is it the same? It was a good addition, but how is it the same? Yeah. So back to what's the Bible story for, if it tells us who God is and our story is to become more like Christ, to image Christ. And I'd really like to free ourselves from, you know, these conversations about um, here are the f more feminist characteristics of God or here are the more masculine characteristics of God. The fullness of God needs all our personalities and all our kind of, um, gifts and stories and so um for me that i mean there are biological differences um in the sense that um i can carry children my body is different it's going to change differently as it ages um and so it's, i think it's my responsibility to live those things things well um and carry those um and one of the things I've done in leadership is talked openly about my health. Um, women's health is not shared openly, particularly when you're a leader. And uh, just uh, this last summer, I had to take a month away to have a hysterectomy. Now, typically, you don't share that information with your colleagues. It's private health information. But I thought, no, women struggle with this part of their uh, health and with managing their bodies um in their careers i'm in a position of power i'm not just going to disappear for a month and have an operation i'm going to tell people what the operation is and where i am because it doesn't it doesn't limit my ability to do my job and the lie that women have lived with for centuries is that um you know the way their bodies have made that bodies are made is uh you know direct result of the curse it means we're sinful it means we are 
um, limited in our capacity. It means we're irrational. We've been told all of this in relation to this amazing gift that God has given us to bear children. And I thought, no, I'm actually going to tell people where I am. And, And it's amazing how many more women have felt free to talk to me about um, what it's like when your hormones are messing you about, what it's like the aging process, when you're tired, when you need to rest. And I'm just thinking if men could be so open about their health issues and their mental health issues, and our, wouldn't the conversation about well-being and leadership just be so much better? So that's a difference, but it's not, <laughs> maybe it's not what you're expecting me to answer. Because all of the other things I, um, I can manage, I have to learn how to manage a budget just like a guy has to. Um, I can be, some of the men that I work with are more emotionally sensitive and relational than I am. So those stereotypes, don't you know they really don't apply I've never cried at work in in a meeting I've seen plenty of blokes who have so all that kind of women are more like it's nonsense those are not real differences um there are as I said um some biological differences but I think if we talked about those we'd understand what being an embodied human being really means for all of our experience of like our life, like our leadership and our ability to rest and our presence, and we'd just all be a lot healthier. I do love that idea of hormonal, as if men don't have hormones. <laughs> it's like, you know, we've got, that's just part of the human thing. That's a biological. Right. And but I it's. When it, I'm hungry, I cannot eat. Or cannot yeah. Eat. But it's the danger. Coming back to academia, it's the danger of erasing out, isn't it? Or a whole part, because you're just supposed to be a brain on a stick. It's the cognitive that's the most important. And like that's not true, and it's not how we were created to be. Yeah, it's not how any of us function. Yeah. It was really cool. What was that word? That you talked about that so openly and candidly and stuff, and we all knew where you were. Like, I know you and I had talked about yeah. it. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Good moment. So the question is, what are the quali- what, are, what are the qualities that are most important to being What's a, a godly woman and leadership? Oh, okay. So it comes back, I think, to um, the depth of your relationship with God. Like, how well are you letting Him know you? <laughs> how are you inviting uh, God into your story? Because um, The thing about leadership is a successful leader. I know you said you don't like that word, Jamie, but a successful leader, I think, is somebody who enables other people to flourish. So this kind of turns the head on its head. One of one of our kind of cultural assumptions about leadership, um, which is the which I do think is a very masculine or patriarchal vision of leadership. And what I. And the historian in me wants to call it a sort of Churchillian model, that what you need is one dynamic person. Um, and there are there are situations when you need that, and maybe a war is one. Um, although it's also true that Churchill wouldn't have been able to achieve much of what he what he did without, you know, an amazing wartime cabinet around him and collaboration. Because we had, you know, we had to suspend the two-party system and actually get people to work together during the war. Um, but I really resist that kind of putting people 
on a pedestal and working alone. And I just think that the qualities of helping other people to flourish are that they're demonstrated in a in a in a leader by um, somebody who's willing to learn, somebody who's willing to ask questions, somebody who's willing to collaborate, who doesn't necessarily believe that they hold all the answers. Now, those are things that I actually personally struggle with. Like it's hard to ask questions and it's hard to take feedback because in academia we're trained to be, or I was trained um, to be to be very combative. Um, in my defense of my arguments in my writing. So I've had to learn um, to learn to see dissent and different opinions as a, as a, as a healthy as a healthy thing. Um, all of which um, I can deal with better if I'm a not too tired in the first place, if I'm well rested. Um, but B, if I've got people around me whom I, whom I trust and who trust me. Um, and your question was about godly characteristics, but I don't know. These are all things that I think um, we just see in, in when communities work. And I think God, when God invests in communities, it's about us taking our eyes much more off ourselves and looking to what um, the other needs and, and how we serve other people's vulnerabilities, how we meet those needs. None of which you can do if you're not working on your story with God, yourself and in community. Um, I feel like I'm waffling. No. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, it's not so much question. about characteristics as, yeah, context. I'm all about context, I think. Yeah, um, yeah maybe a, a better word than characteristics is just character full stop. Like, how do you form your character? um to be like that of Christ um which is that's a huge and <laughs> very lofty goal um but i i think that's better than sort of saying leadership is just a list of traits that you can teach yourself although there are definitely skills that you have to learn and which i would say i'm still learning yeah it's very cool so yeah just for my own sake of unpacking, one, it's really interesting that the interrupting thing, that's a frequent theme that mm -hmm. is ever concerned because I interrupt everybody. It's so brutal, but it's such a part of my part. It's a connection piece, but I've got to mm -hmm. do that with I got to be very intentional about it. It's like, I'm trying to connect. I was like, oh, but it can come off as overbearing. Yeah. So I have to be, but I do it with my, my male buddies too. Um, same way I have to do it for others is it's about sharing. It's about thinking about what's your ultimate goal in your working relationship with this other person. Because um, when Professor Trevor Cooling began to work with me, he was imagining himself out of a job. Now, I didn't, in the end, stay and, and take the, the director's post at Canterbury when he retired. But it, it takes moving out of the way. And that's the real question for all of us. Like, in creating structures at Tyndale or wherever it is for others to share in uh, leadership roles will I be okay if that effectively makes me redundant will I give power like will you give power away um, and I it's it's very easy to think yeah of course I would and then hold on to it really really tightly when you're there and chair every committee yourself and 
you know, I get if I think some, you know, somebody's going to make mistakes, it's really hard to let them <laughs> make the mistakes. I'd rather do it myself. I'm a perfectionist. But um, if black, indigenous people of color, other other women are going to survive and thrive, um, they need experience. They need to see like I could see my mum doing things. And that means um, that means I have to stop holding on to the power and my ways of doing things. Um, it's very hard to do in practice. But you've got to elevate others. That's how you're an ally. That's what it means to stand in solidarity. You've kind of already, like you have talked about this, but I just want to hear yeah. your response because it'll give me option when okay. I decide what to include in the final edit. Um, what would you say is God's purpose for women? I think God's purpose for women is to enjoy who we are in Christ, to see in the Lord Jesus um, just that wonderful image of um, God's loving kindness, um, to say my story makes sense when I put it in the context of Jesus's bigger story. Um, and, you know, the body that I have, however it looks, even if I don't think it's Instagrammable, um, the mind that I have, the relationships that I have, the ability I have, you know, to bear life and bring forth fruitful relationships. I have all of that because Jesus made it and that means it's good. So I just wish we could get beyond, and I don't think this is just women, but it's very exaggerating our culture at the moment if for women all those sorts of really sort of skewed you know I have to look like this or I have to be empowered this way or I have to enjoy certain things I just wish we could get beyond all all that and enjoy the diversity um so um driving here <laughs> there was a woman I feel I couldn't help because I don't know anything about horses and horse boxes, but she had broken down by the side of the road and she didn't really need my help. She was rocking it. You know, I don't know what she was doing, but sorting out whatever the mechanical fault was. And I just thought, that's not me. I'm not outdoorsy. Don't know what to do with a horse. I'm much better off in a library. But Jesus made me this way, made her that way. We both reflect the goodness of God in this beautiful world. Let's just get on with what we do. Um, yeah, I think that's our purpose. Always our purpose is to bring Jesus glory and make him known because that's how we become fully ourselves. Do you feel that you're, um, uh, this conversation came with Marilyn, uh, and it's just one of those things that sort of struck me. I never feel like I'm representative of the community. Like, I don't feel like if I do my job poorly, I'm like, well, that's it for white guys. Do you, do you have, whether intentionally or not, do you have the sort of sense that, like, you are representing womanhood in leadership or whatever capacity? Do you feel like you're almost like a figurehead for a certain collective? Yes. Yes. Um, and it worries me a little bit because um, I'm Generation X. I'm... I'm white, I'm middle class, why should I inherit the earth, right? Like, I don't actually think the Bible, the Bible story um, is about making it safe for people like me. <laughs> so I don't know that I, that burden to represent is a helpful one. Um, 
for lot like for lots of reasons. It's interesting because I would say I really ran away from it for a long time. So I deliberately um, I talked about this before, kept church life and worship life very separate from research life. Um, and that kind of split personality was a way of man- managing. I'm just as good as the boys. Just leave me alone and I'll do this. Um, and I didn't want to sort of be, to borrow c- contemporary language, like a visible brand for anything, right? I just like, I'll do rigorous research. It'll be really good. It'll speak for itself and everybody else could just get on with it. And I think one of the things that really changed for me when I came over to Canada, I first started working for a think tank. I worked for the think tank Cardus and I led Christian education research. And And Michael Van Pelt, who's the CEO of Cardus, he challenged me. He talked to me about the incredible experiences that I have had. So I'm uh, fortunate enough to have been to, um, shall we just say, some of the world's leading universities and to have traveled all around the world and, and worked with some amazing people. And Michael Van Pelt was, well, what do you think that's for? Is it just so that, you know, you can write fabulous scholarly articles and, you know, be left alone? (laughs) Don't you have a responsibility? And I learned a lot at the think tank about how you how you take this idea of influence. Because we I have it and some people have it more than others in an abundance And how do you use it well for the kingdom of God? And I had to get over that kind of, well, A, A, hiding away, or B, this is all just elitist and wrong. Like, you have these resources, then it, it is your responsibility to, I think, use your influence on behalf of other on behalf of others. And Cardus as a think tank really taught me how to do that, how to talk about my research and scholarship to people who don't spend their all, you know, nine to five in a library and people who haven't had the benefits of of the kind of education and public money and all the things that have been invested in me. Um, And also not to look on it as something to be ashamed of, um, but it is a a real responsibility to be a a representative and, and speak on behalf of others and you shouldn't do it lightly now that's a little bit different because you were talking about being forced into that position because you're one of the very few women there but I think we all have I think we all have to do it on behalf of our communities I think that's just it's part of the responsibility I love that answer you totally switched you you flipped it on its head and made like too much is given much is required yeah oh I love that yeah very cool because otherwise you're functioning out of the same entitlement everybody else is because of my resume like I'll always get shortlisted for and it doesn't mean I'll get the job but I just will because of where I went to university and the experience you know it just and that was God's grace to me and because I was born in the right wealthy community at the right time with you know so if I'm not going to function out of a place of privilege and entitlement I've got to be able to flip it flip it otherwise I'm just running away I mean, all of this, I mean, for all the anti-elitism and stuff like that, it's like Wilberforce, same thing. Yeah. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, same thing. It's like, yeah. yeah, these are entitled people. And literally didn't run, but was going, was tracking his academic thing. And I like, I will always come back to that yeah. chain smoking note. His garden gets anything in New York. 
Yeah. Or I was like, I'm going to go back to Nazi Germany. Yeah. And now I'm going to kill Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, that's fantastic. Because there is that sort of dismissal. It's that question of in that moment, will you, yeah, will you give the power away? Your will. Sorry. So good. It's going to be such a thread through this. Yeah, I was just thinking, it's actually the the Christian way is that if you are in a position of power or you have been given much, the Christian way is actually to then use that voice for those who don't have it. Yeah, to give it away. So one way or another, you're asked to give it away. Yeah. Which Um, is fun because that's, you know, Victor said that about uh, money. The only freedom they have, the only freedom that actually comes with money is the freedom to give it away. Give it away. Yeah. But um, do you have anything, like, have you had experiences as a woman in leadership in church and and if you have how have those differed from your experiences being a woman in leadership in academia yeah good question so before i moved to canada i worshipped in denominations where um where women were not in leadership positions uh they were not permitted to preach and they were not permitted to teach in mixed company um and it's really interesting look, reflecting back on that because what I would also say about those contexts is that they hadn't had full and open conversations about women and their gifts. Um, and I think the absence of the conversation was what I was struggling with. So until I was kind of 18 in my church context, I counted as one of the young people. So it was all right for me to be up the front and pray um, and, uh, you know, come up and talk about service trips we'd been on. And then suddenly it was like, now we don't ask Beth to come and talk up the front. Like, and I'm like, what's this invisible line I've, I don't know if it was really when I was 18, but it was kind of about that time when I went to university. And I would say I gradually began to struggle with all the things I was sort of, want of a better word, allowed to do in the secular context, while I wasn't allowed to do it in church. And that's a little bit unfair because I could lead Bible studies that were, um, all women and I could teach in women's conferences. And I used to do a lot of a lot of those things because um, the other ways to serve at church, you really don't want me anywhere near the food. You don't want me near the flowers. I did teach, I did teach uh, Sunday school and I'm a teacher. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed working with kids. Um, but those, you know, those were the safe spaces in, in, in the denomination, denominational context I was in. And increasingly, I was dealing with this sort of tension. Um, So I looked for other ways to lead in sort of parachurch context. And that's very common for women who are in those conservative evangelical spaces um, who, you know, may be wrestling with um, some of the sort of teaching around this is to go do something elsewhere that isn't church. And I did that for a long while. But the best thing I did when I came to Canada is became part of a church that had fully and openly had that conversation ages ago. Like the issue was not an issue anymore (laughs) about the role of women and the place in church. So I finally followed the advice that my friend Pauline had given me. Be in a worshipping community where, you know, your gifts are appreciated in you so you're not living with that tension. So I'm in uh, 
the Anglican Church of Canada now, which is an affirming denomination. And so I don't wrestle with that tension anymore. And since I've been here, I've been more visibly able uh, to join in leading initiatives within the diocese. We have a female bishop. Um, and I have learned such a tremendous amount from working with Bishop Susan Bell. And I haven't actually worked with many female leaders. Um, so I'm in this amazing situation at the moment where, um, you know, I work for Dr. Marjorie Kerr at Tyndale and I, I work or volunteer for Bishop Susan Bell in Niagara. And it's lovely for me to be learning from women in executive leadership roles. Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good is a production of Tyndale University. Visit our website, tyndale.ca, for more information.